0: Hello, everybody. It's Friday, August 11th after the markets have closed. Brian Janikowski, Christian Thwaites and...
1: And Emily taken And let's get started, Christian. So today today in the blog, you wrote about Snap, uh, which is an interesting company. It it had its IPO earlier this year. And you list some of the numbers here and, you know, Snap has been dismal for investors um, through its IPO and until now. Um, But how do you? How do investors look at these tech companies, and distinguish between Snap, a Snap per se, and the next Facebook or the next Amazon?
0: It's very difficult. Amazon did not have an illustrious IPO. It it came in uh, below expectations and didn't do well in its first uh, two to three months. And in fact, I uh, some. Internal documents have come to light recently that they were very worried about it at the time. Um, so, it it, it it is extremely difficult. The reason I singled out Snap was because they went an extra step further in, I think, putting together a share structure which uh, is very unfriendly towards shareholders. It, there, there's uh, there's no voting stock. Uh, the directors and founders basically guaranteed that even if they're in the minority from an economic value, they will continue to be able to run the company pretty much at will. So I think the governance on it, on Snap, is is really bad and not a good deal for shareholders at all. And, uh, you know, while, while you're away, welcome back, by the way, um, uh, S&P announced that they would not be including Snap or companies like it. In the S and P indexes going forward, so they've basically had enough of dual class uh, voting structures, or in this case, no class voting structures, no voting, no voting power at all, and they're going to exclude them from indexes, and that's a big deal because that means basically thirty-five percent of all investors out there will not be able to buy Snap through their index funds, mm-hmm. and I think the next investment bank that that sits down with a with a firm looking at an IPO will have to uh, explain that if they use this type of governance structure and voting structure, they're not likely to get the price they think they feel they should. So yes, the, So aside from that, which is enough to get me worried, uh, the numbers were pretty awful. Uh, but I think to your point, it's very difficult because as you all know, Amazon doesn't make a lot of money. It has nearly half a billion dollars worth of sales. Uh, but has has barely made money in 20 years and yet the share price has written I think you know twenty thousand percent or something so it's very difficult um, and of course the answer is diversification yeah. uh, and I think also be wary of uh, a stock which you like the product of and you see a lot of people using. But don't get lured into the fact that that makes a good investment. And I, and I point to Snap, and I point to Twitter, and I point to GoPro, you know, all of which have been pretty awful investments if mm-hmm. you were out there at the beginning. So I hope that helps. But uh, the, the, I think the big high-water mark with Snap was just the, um, the, the almost disdain which they have for, for shareholders. Mm-hmm.
1: Going to um, tech overall, um, we've seen a big run-up in the NASDAQ this year. Is tech overvalued right now? And do we think that there might be a correction sometime soon?
0: I don't think it is particularly overvalued. I I mean, the big tech run up in NASDAQ is the big fives. That's Microsoft, Apple, Google, uh, Facebook, and Amazon. And they've all come through with pretty decent earnings. Except for Amazon, where the market's sort of giving it a pass and (laughs) as long as it continues to make money from its um, storage business and from its top line sales that they don't need to worry about earning so much. Um, we, We did a chart a couple of months ago about is tech expensive and came away feeling that it wasn't. Uh, certainly not relative to what it was in in ninety nine and two thousand. So I think investors are still willing to pay for growth, and you do get growth at some at some of them, not all of them, but you do at, at, in the five we've mentioned. And you know, so I, I I think that they are reasonably well valued, not not cheap, but but I think there's there's not too much of a worry about a bubble here. A correction, yes, but a correction down to ten percent is perfectly good. It's a good way to flush out the bubbles on the. Quick money, uh, but I don't think we're going to see uh, a big, uh, uh, a, a big uh, correction of, of of any size. I.e., of twenty percent and stays at twenty percent.
1: So tech may not be expensive now, particularly expensive now. What if interest rates start going up?
0: Well, the that's a good question because I the part of the valuation stretch that we get is because our discount rates are low and our discount rates are low because interest rates are low. So if you did see a big increase in, in rates, but it has to be sudden and unexpected. Gradual and expected and slow is fine. Sudden and unexpected, which would really require uh, you know pretty dramatic action by the Fed, would, would not be good for valuations right across the board and especially the high growth uh, stocks. But for now, I think, um, if you've had profits, take them, you know, pair them back a little bit. Um, but I wouldn't be overly concerned about the level of, of tech, although they might well go out of fashion for the next three or four months. Boy, they've just had an uninterrupted uh, run-up. We we include a, a graph this week on NASDAQ, and you can't even see the moving averages. Uh, usually, they're well below the price line. In this case, they're almost on top of the price line. In fact, we had to play around with the... Scales to get them to, <laughs> to show us anything. Uh, but they've had absolutely no correction at all. And uh, if you're a chartist or a technician, you'd be uh, worried about them being overboard.
1: So, on to uh, the economic data. So, we saw CPI um, c- come out uh, and it's chugging along here, core at about 1.7%. Um, tell me, in terms of kind of the, the different components. That are contributing to this um, this low inflation, this low growth number. What do you see those to be?
0: Yes, well, there's an important distinction between core and headline C P R, and the headline C P R includes pretty much everything, and core takes out energy and food with the with the uh, premise that energy prices can be pretty uh, seasonal and even cyclical. So gas prices go up in the summer, tend to go down in the winter. So they try and sort of iron that out. And if you get oil moving from 30 to 50 and 50 to 40, it doesn't necessarily mean that inflation will follow through. And it doesn't necessarily mean that that requires a change in monetary policy. So we look at the core CPI, which includes those two. And those are the the ones which are putting along at the 1.7%. But this this, uh, last few months, they've been brought down by uh, airline fares, which are down nearly 6% year on year, lodging, hotels down about a percent Sorry, about uh, nearly 4%. uh, Used cars, good time to buy a used car if you're in the market, because the leases that were heavily promoted three or four years ago are now finishing. So there's a glut of leased cars out on the market. Um, And that's affected prices. And then wireless costs, So I think we've talked about here, that Verizon is in the middle of a price War and it's not a huge component of the CPI, about one percent, but it's down 13 percent. So that that will affect uh, the CPI overall. But the one we want to keep our eye on is the uh, rather badly named over- owner's equivalent rent, which is essentially housing, uh, and that's nearly 30 percent of the CPI on its own, and that's that's still about three percent. But you kind of put all these together, and it's again difficult to see. CPI moving uh, on a headline rate, much above 2% on a consistent basis, and on a, on a core rate, um, not much above 1. 1. 1.8 or so. So it doesn't appear to be pushing through yet.
1: What about wages? We've talked about wages and how they've been particularly stubborn in terms of, of going up. I know that a, there's some thoughts out there that wage inflation may be around the corner. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts on that?
0: The, yes, the, well, the reason that uh, some people feel that wage inflation around the corner is because uh, unemployment rate is down, the labor participation rate has not moved very much, so people are not necessarily attracted into the labor market. And the NFIB and others, the National Federation of Independent Businessmen, have said it's difficult to hire people. So, So, which is true, they've been saying that for a long time though. Whether or not they then end up paying people more, I think is the big question, and I don't think they do. Um, and just to take an example, if, if someone is paid twenty six dollars an hour and works forty hours a week, they the, the the way the statistics work is that if if I put up to twenty seven dollars, it's a price increase. But if I keep it at twenty six dollars and move it to thirty eight hours, that too is a price increase. Um, And so it can be and and if I give more benefits but no change in actual wages that too will show up as a wage increase but 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 except for the first one those last two if if I pay you the same amount of dollars but reduce your hours you're actually taking nothing more home but it'll show up as a as a as a wage increase in the statistics Mm -hmm. and I think that's kind of what's happening is Mm -hmm. that is Mm -hmm. that in employers are very reluctant to give uh, big wage increases and so We've seen wage increases both on an hourly and a weekly basis, sort of only up about zero point five percent year over year.
1: So, starting from the premise that employers are reluctant to to do wage increases, why is that?
0: Um, I I I think it's it, it's a combination of things. Look, I, uh, look, you can also make it very simple. I think for 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 an for an employer, for them to put an additional person onto the uh, onto the payroll or hire you know hire more people pay more people they have to see demand and mm-hmm. uh, and it's a balance as a small employer and you know small employers under 50 employees employ half the American workforce and as we discussed the other I wrote the other day uh, you know well over half of the workforce is on hourly wages not weekly or salaried so unless they see that sort of unequivocal unmistakable uh, demand coming through they're just not going to make the wage increases, which then become a permanent increase in costs for them. And we already talked about inflation. They can't necessarily pass on those costs in increased prices right now. So I think it's a a sort of a lingering concern about um, taking on too much debt or costs. You know, they got burnt in 2007 or eight or nine. But it could be, you know, explained as simply as they just don't see a lot of demand for their underlying products and therefore there's no real need to pay more to get people into into the workforce,
1: and so if we if we're not seeing any wage increases, so we're not seeing any more money going into people's pockets, how are we going to increase increase demand? <laughs>
0: uh, I think it's very difficult, and I think I think that's why we've talked about this two two-two two world two 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 world, which we're in two percent and below inflation, ten year treasury with a two percent front handle on it, and two percent GDP growth, and it's difficult to see it rise growth much more about that unless you get more people coming into the workforce um, unless you uh, uh, and then that can happen through immigration highly unlikely at this point it can be uh, people who exit out of the workforce and come back in or uh, they kind of give up schooling and, and go into the workforce instead so it's unlikely we'll get it there uh, you could get it in productivity but productivity growth has been pretty anemic for years now so you know it's a uh, You know, with all the talk about tech, it has made very little impact on economic productivity. It's probably switched jobs around quite a lot, but it hasn't necessarily made much impact on productivity. So it's difficult to see where you get this 3% growth, which the administration would like to have.
1: So I want to wrap up with something that you probably will be addressing uh, in the coming weeks as we near closer. but. Uh, Just give us an update on the debt ceiling situation and what you're looking for there. What could possibly happen and why you're paying attention to it?
0: Yes. Well, the best thing that could happen is that if Congress passes through an increase in the debt ceiling without any restrictions. uh, In other words, the the, the debt ceiling is increased in order to pay the liabilities and expenses which the Treasury budget has already put in place. However. You know, we know last time in 2011 and 2013 when this kind of blew up that there was a lot of brinkmanship, Um, and so I think this one probably won't be much different. I think Democrats will try and extract some concessions, and the hardliners will try and extract extract some uh, spending reductions, and neither of which. I think will happen. So we could get close to uh, a little bit of a concern. Um, we haven't seen much of it yet. It's going to be something that we're going to have to face up in the first uh, couple of weeks of September, and I suspect uh, we'll, we'll hear a lot more about it.
1: With the markets being so insulated from other bad news, um, do you think that they will have a reaction to something like some conflict like this in terms of the debt ceiling?
0: Yeah I mean the 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 political conflict if we're talking about North Korea would would uh, would have a would have an effect but um history tells us that stock markets don't react for very long around political events I mean more recently you know Gulf 1 Gulf 2 911 the Falklands war I mean there, there's five or six more that you could think of the initial reaction was down a bit, and then the markets continued on their way. In other words, they're affected by growth and earnings and inflation much more than those events. And actually, during the Second World War, which is obviously devastating, U.S. market was up 35 cents. So uh, it just, uh, you know, the, as we've talked before, the stock market's an amoral machine. It doesn't really have a view on politics unless it starts affecting it, and that hasn't been the case yet.
1: Great. Thank you, Christian. Thanks to you for listening.
0: Thanks, Emily. And here's the disclosure. Please note that the discussion of our investment, investment strategy, including our research investment process, represents our investments, investment strategy at Davis documentary. So, change that notice, we cannot assure the type of investment discussed in this commentary will outperform any other investment strategy in the future, nor can you guarantee that such investments will present the best or unattractive risk adjusted investment in the futures for general information purposes only. References to an individual security should not be considered as a recommendation to buy or sell. Security, security mentioned in this commentary only several of the successful and unsuccessful investments by us do not represent all the securities we have purchased, sold, or recommended. Although we deem reliable sources of statistical and other information referred to in this commentary, we cannot guarantee the accuracy of the completeness of any statements on the American past performance, no indication of future results.